Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here. Getting ready for a whole new episode. Kyle, happy Thursday, bro. What's up, bro? Chilling, bro. Chilling. Kevin, I think you got to let the people know. I think you got your tat touched up just a couple hours ago, but I imagine that's got to sting a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I just got my sleeve a little touched up. I'm a little irritated right now. Um, been about a year since I was able to touch it up between COVID rescheduling and stuff like that. So just finally kind of got it completed for the majority of it. And then, you know, just got to get a little bit more touched up in a couple of weeks. But Always got to love making this look good. Shout out to my boy, Will. Yep. But, man, it looks like you got some sunburn on that thing. It just looks like that hey, from, man. Just from here. That, mo- that motherfucking irritation is a bitch. I did, like, I took the uh, the bandages off, like, maybe, like, 30 minutes ago while I was on the phone. And I put my shirt back on, and I was like, it was like, like just like sunburn. Like, so I was like, ah! Now you, now you just got the arm portion done right. You didn't get the whole chest piece that you have on top of it, too. No, the chest piece will get touched up more than likely uh, in two weeks also, just because there's not much left for this, so he's going to focus on this since I got this about four or five years ago. That bitch is going to hurt, bro. Oh, hell yeah. It hurt when I got it, bro. But, hey, I did it. It was about three and a half, four hours straight, and he finished the whole thing. Just going to suck it up and power through it, right? Fuck yeah, and give me a goddamn towel. I'm about to be biting it and screaming the whole time. That's what comes with having a tattoo, bro. Hey, you ain't lying. But, you know, another thing, we talk about some upgrades, you feel me? You know, your boy out here with this ring light, you know. Shout out to my little brother for this amazing Christmas gift. So, you know, we got some visual aids. I got some LED lights coming. He actually got me those for Christmas, too. I'm hyped as shit. The background's gonna change up a little bit. You know, when I get the desk reset up, I'm gonna get this microphone. You guys are gonna see a little bit more of an ambiance. I'm gonna get my dirt jersey hung up. It's gonna be fire. I'm telling you, 2022, we ready. You know, I'm just gonna say this visually. Like, when I look at your room right now, I mean, you got the nice little New York, uh, the little canvas. It's bland, it's bland as shit. Yeah, bro, you need like, you need like a Colts jersey back there, or maybe like even like a flag or something like that. Dude, I'm I'm working on it. I want to get my PR flag. I want to put that shit over here. It's just the thing is with the room setup and the jersey that I want to hang up, the dirt jersey I want to put right next to the New York, or I want to put it on this wall right here so everybody can see. The negative to it is the fact that my my lease is up in a couple of a couple of weeks. So obviously I don't want to go and start hanging shit up, putting some holes in it, and then I end up leaving. So I'm kind of just leaving everything as it is right now. Obviously, the lease conversation will probably end up happening in about two, three weeks, right before the month, uh, right before February starts. So when I get that final say, then I'll put up the LED lights. Obviously, then I'm going to start to hang up because I'll be here for another year. Um, but uh, the dirt jersey is definitely a priority. I want to get a display case or a bookshelf. I've been talking about that for basically since I moved out. 
Um, and I want to display my pop figurines and stuff like that. So I might move the futon over and then put the pop figures here in the corner. I don't know. We're going to figure it out. But the, like I said, man, this is step one. Again, shout out to my baby brother, Max. Get me this stuff for Christmas. And uh, can't wait to get these last couple of upgrades, bro. It's about to be a crazy 2022 for sure. Bro, I, I'm glad I didn't hear you wrong when you said your PR flag. Because I swear to God, like when I first heard it, I thought it was DR. I'm like, it's not right. Don't insult me like that. Bro, I'm like, I knew I didn't hear that one wrong. Because I know there's a huge, bro, there's a huge fucking distinction between PR and DR. Trust me. I've learned that over the last couple of years. So I'm glad I heard yeah. it right the first time. So. Hey, hey, no animosity towards Dominicans. I'm just saying, you know, you know, when you get your nationality confused with something else or somebody says the wrong thing, it's a little offensive, you know what I'm saying? So, again, no beef, just clarifying. I feel that. I feel that. But you ready to dive into this episode, bro? Hell, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, especially since the first damn topic is so stupid. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, guys, we got to talk about it. If you guys haven't heard it, you guys have probably been living under a rock the last couple of days. But it is now official. Antonio Brown has been released by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after what has been an ongoing drama situation. Basically, this is like straight out of a soap opera, if you really want to be honest. Um, The release of AB came off the heels after he posted several messages where he criticized multiple people, including Tom Brady's personal trainer, Alex Guerrero. He went after the Bucs organization. There is a multitude of factors uh, at play that led up to his release. And I imagine, you know, that'll be a hearty conversation that we'll have when we get to that topic. And then after that, we're going to go into some Week 18 matchups in the NFL. This is do-or-die time for some of these teams that are trying to claim these last wild card spots. We're going to go over a couple of those matchups, the first one being a huge AFC North battle between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. After that, we're going to focus on Kevin's team. They're going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I know Kevin is extremely anxious about that one because it's been a few years since Indianapolis has won an away game in, in Jacksonville. Jacksonville. In Jacksonville. So I imagine Kevin's going to be sweating bullets when that game is played on Sunday. But we'll talk about that one after the first matchup. And then after that, we're going to focus on an AFC West battle that's going to take place with the... Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. Biggest game of the week. It's a huge game for both teams. And then to round out the NFL topics for this episode, we're going to focus on who's going to claim the last wild card spot in the NFC. Is it going to be the New Orleans Saints or is it going to be the San Francisco 49ers? It's the last spot. Both teams are going to be going at it and we'll round out the NFL topics with that. To transition, we're going to focus on two NBA topics. The first one being uh, Dirk Nowitzki's had had his jersey retirement just a couple days ago, and I imagine Kevin's going to just, have Yeah, this is so emotional. Yeah, there were some tears shed, I know, on Kevin's side for sure. But we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about Dirk's legacy and just the impact that he had, not only with the Dallas Mavericks, but to the NBA to a larger extent. And then to round out the episode, we're going to focus on the Lakers a little bit. It is that time once again. The Lakers are kind of treading water above 500 right now. And whenever you have a team that has LeBron on it, there is always a huge push to possibly get some trade pieces onto the team with the trade deadline approaching. And we'll just kind of dive into that topic and just kind of see where it goes from there. 
kind of like indicative of where the Lakers season is going this year, but that's neither here nor there, but that, that rounds out the episode as far as the agenda goes. Um, without further ado, let's dive into this episode and let's focus on this Antonio Brown situation. So as I said at the top, Antonio Brown is no longer a part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was released on Thursday after really a multitude of issues stemming from the Sunday matchup that took place against the Jets last week where he exited the game in quite dramatic fashion where he threw his pads off to the side and then was doing jumping jacks and threw up the deuces while running into the tunnel during the middle of a Buccaneers offensive drive where I imagine a lot of his teammates saw what he was doing as he was leaving the stadium. And then really over the last couple days, we've seen Antonio Brown really make a point of saying that he was victimized by the Buccaneers where he stated that uh, the Bucs weren't necessarily careful with the injury that he had. He had been dealing with an ankle injury over the last couple months, but it had been determined that he had been dealing with a potential serious leg injury, not leg injury, ankle injury, excuse me, where he was dealing with bone with broken bone fragments and one that was probably going to potentially sideline him for a significant period of time. He also went after uh, Bruce Arians a little bit. He went after Tom Brady's personal trainer and Alex Guerrero. And I imagine that we have not heard the last from AB in regards to this situation, but he is a free agent. He did just drop a single for his rapping career uh, this past weekend. So, I mean, I guess that's off to a hot start, but Kevin, to kick this one to you, is it, how do I say this? What do you make of this whole Antonio Brown situation now that he's gone from the Buccaneers? Well, let's just be frank. We, be, meaning us as society, has no idea what the truth is outside of AB and the Buccaneers camp. As it stated during the game on Sunday, it looked like Antonio Brown had snapped uh, for the third, fourth, fifth time. I don't know. I can't keep count with his breakdowns on the sideline to where he just left. He just quit. Antonio Brown then accused Bruce Arians of cutting him on the sideline. And then he also then told the media that he was trying to, he as in Bruce Arians was trying to force Antonio Brown back into the game despite Antonio Brown pleading that he was still injured. Bruce Arians took the stage today or the podium and clarified that he did not get any indication from the medical professionals, from the doctors, from the trainers that Antonio Brown even sought out medical attention. So now it's legitimately become, he said, she said. No one knows what the truth is, but based off of what I'm understanding and what I'm getting, a, you know, kind of like my own opinion, once again, since I have no true understanding of what the truth is, um, I'm thinking Antonio Brown's full of shit. He took screenshots of a conversation with Alex Guerrero and screenshots of a conversation with Bruce Arians and shared it on social media to make it out to be that Bruce Arians had reached out to him to say that, you know, there's no excuses, there's no days off. And then... The Alex Guerrero one was, hey, Alex, or hey, AG, just reaching out. You know, I would like my refund for my training session since we didn't technically get to work out. It was about $100,000 that Alex had to send him back. And Antonio Brown commented over the screenshot saying, it's crazy how he charged me 100 k but we never even worked out. That goes to show, like, it's, it's, it's beyond me. It's the organization. And now Antonio Brown trying to take the 
well, I'm a victim slash I'm acknowledging I have mental health issues and it has nothing to do with that. It's about the general genuine safety of my ankle and my career. Then supposedly he had asked the week before for his incentives that he was going to accumulate within the next couple of weeks to be fully guaranteed. That's not possible. You have to obviously hit the incentive before you go and make the money. That's kind of the point of it being an incentive. It's a reason to go out and perform so you can acquire that bonus. Um, it, like I said, there's just too much stuff going around. But again, if I had to put my, my, my intuition, my gut feeling, uh, I'm not saying that AB wasn't hurt. I'm not saying that the ankle wasn't messed up. I'm not going to tell a man that his injury is fake. But to me, again, based off of those screenshots, it looked very doctored. It looked very fake. It looked kind of made up, to be honest with you. Um, I think AB is full of shit. I don't think Bruce Arians has a reason to go out there and lie like that. If a player is truly that hurt, I don't necessarily see any coach at any level telling someone to get out there. Just because I feel like that could end up turning into a lawsuit, you know, like you forcibly making me get into a game knowing that I'm injured. Again, I don't know the legality behind it or if that's even physically possible in the NFL, but Antonio Brown just blowing this out of proportion. The way that he acted, the way that he quit, the way that he threw his stuff and making a scene and making it about him. Videos have now surfaced that the team came out of halftime and or not halftime. They came out before the game had started. They had a team huddle in the middle of the field at MetLife. Antonio Brown was by himself walking away. So it seemed like there were already some disgruntled issues and feelings before the game had even started. And then more reports have been surfacing pretty much all day today saying that Antonio Brown has been frustrated with the Buccaneers organization since he's gotten back from suspension. He felt that things had changed since then. Obviously, they were mad about him with the vaccination or fake vaccination card and then his injury. So he wasn't really focused on his rehabilitation he was more focused on the drama and guys there's just too much shit this just really rattles off kyle and i were exchanging screenshots back and forth and reports pretty much all day while we were working to kind of discuss this and it it literally was like one thing after another like we didn't even send each other anything different outside of this i mean kyle would you agree it was like legit back and forth just a b news for like an hour it was just ridiculous yeah i mean when I look at the whole Antonio Brown situation, to me, he victimized himself out of anybody in this situation because I look at it in this perspective. Wherever AB goes, he's always the center of attention when it comes to drama. I mean, the, the situation that took place in Pittsburgh, I can't believe that Pittsburgh actually dealt with all of his BS during his tenure there. And then he goes to Oakland. Actually, I, that might have been Vegas when he went over there. That that didn't even last a couple months. That was a tire fire. He barely lasts two weeks in New England. And I, I mean, if I if my memory serves me correctly, I'm pretty sure he basically chastised or threatened Robert Kraft in the process before he got released by New England. And then he goes to Tampa and... The first year he's there, he misses the first eight games due to suspension, but is relatively productive. And I don't think that anybody kind of disagrees with the fact that the guy is productive. I mean, the guy is a sensational athlete and one of the best wide receivers that we've seen this last decade. But there's just always drama attached to him, and it kind of shows up here in the situation again. And I think a lot of it stems to the fact that he believes that he wasn't getting enough targets in that game, because during halftime, 
he blew up in the locker room and a lot of his teammates in the locker room had to calm him down because of that. And then you go into the third quarter and he's refusing to go back into the game and Bruce Arians goes up to him saying, Hey, what's going on? And he, from what Bruce Arians had said, he said, Antonio had said that he wasn't getting enough targets. And then that's when Bruce Arians absolutely flipped and said, all right, you know, get the F out of here. You know, you're done. Now, with the way that things happened, everybody just kind of assumed that AB was acting out of pocket, you know, that this was just so uncalled for when it was actually happening. Now that we actually have the backstory of what led up to it, we at least have a better idea of what happened and why it happened. But it, it's pretty simple to me. AB crossed the line because if he was so hurt, it would kind of be odd for me to believe that he was that hurt that when he was leaving the stadium, he was doing jumping jacks and then jogging out of the stadium at the same time of dealing with this massive, significant ankle injury. So I don't deny the fact that he had an ankle injury. He had been dealing with one for at least the last two months. But you know, the guy was on the field and I watched the first half of the game and he looked fine as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, this is not like the AB from like, 2013, 2014, or 15, but the guy is extremely productive. It didn't look like Tom was purposely avoiding the guy. I believe the guy had five targets in the first half. So to me, I think AB got mad because he didn't think that he was getting enough targets from Tom. And then when BA approached him about what was going on and AB told them that he wasn't going to go into the game because he wasn't getting enough targets. I think they just had enough. And, you know, that's where the split is. So, you know, with AB, wherever he goes, there's drama attached to it. And if anybody wants to sign him, you know, you got to do it at your own risk. Because the way that I look at it, if you're going to say, sign Antonio Brown, you kind of almost have to approach it as if you were going to sign Josh Gordon. Granted, the, the differences between the two are stark, and I'm not comparing AB and Josh Gordon's personal situations. But you have to understand when you sign... AB, you're not going to probably have him for the entire year. You're going to get limited production. So, you know, that's kind of the story as far as I see it. And when I look at it, it's unfortunate just across the board because I thought Antonio had a great opportunity with the Bucks. I mean, he got a Super Bowl ring out of it. So, I mean, that's something to be ashamed of. But it's just unfortunate that the, uh, the situation turned out the way it happened uh, last week against the Jets. Yeah, it's... He has solely become a player so focalized on himself and making it about him that it is so difficult to remember that he, at one point, just a few years ago, was arguably the best receiver in football. So dynamic and his ability to go out there and stretch the field and be a great route runner and then, of course, be a great diversion and teammate for what they had back in Pittsburgh with, of course, Martavis Bryant. And then, of course, Le'Veon Bell and, and just Ben Roethlisberger. It seemed just and, like the perfect fit. And Juju. And, and Juju. You know what I'm saying? So you just look at that and you say, how did you go from, like, the pinnacle, from the actual top of your game and, and fall to this person that basically is the equivalent of not being able to hold a job? Yeah. It's, it's just – it's not – I can't even say it's sad anymore because it's so consistent that, like you just said in your point, it's just so dramatic – Everywhere he goes, it, things like this don't surprise me anymore. That's when my dad called me. Yo, did you see AB blow up on the sidelines? I was like, oh. like it wasn't even like a what the hell happened. It's just like a yeah, to be expected. 
Yeah, kind of. Just because, I mean, the guy's a loose cannon. You know, and, and I don't know if there's any underlying, you know, mental health issues there. I mean, for the way that I see it, the guy's bipolar. You know, that's just kind of how I see it. But, you know, I guess, you know, B.A. telling him is like, you know, that you're done. You know, get out of here. You know, I, I could kind of understand that he that he could be pissed about that. And I, I mean, I would be too if my coach talked to me like that. But, I mean, to do it in the manner that he did, of like just chucking his his shoulder pads and his jersey to the to the bench the way that he did, throwing his shirt, throwing his undershirt, his gloves into the stands, and then really kind of making a fool out of himself while in the end zone before he hit the tunnel. It, that just seemed so unnecessary as far as I'm concerned. But, Dude, he ain't, he ain't helped himself. He did not make it look like he was injured, like you said. And for you to go out of your way to screw your teammates like that is just a whole level of petty and difficult and just, just unreasonable. And the thing is, I don't dispute the fact that he had an ankle injury. He had been dealing with that for a significant period of time. It was on the injury report, so it's definitely yeah. true that there was an ankle injury. And the thing is, he never went to the trainers on the sideline about that ankle. So, apparently, you know, that's what Bruce Arians was saying about just the protocols that they have in place when somebody's injured during the game. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, it, AB is going to do what he thinks is best. And apparently that was the best. Fabricating a story. But the thing is, I think he tried to show himself as a victim by doing all these uh, these leaks and these screenshots of the conversations that he had. It, and to me, it really, AB has kind of no credibility in any way, shape, Zero, or form bro. in that regard. So, Dude, I mean, we it, could make screenshots like that. It's not difficult. Yeah, it's Change it's the not, contact name, start a conversation, and then you could obviously I, I, copy and paste dates. I, I don't deny that the, the one that um, he screenshotted of Alex Guerrero was true. I mean... I mean, for a guy that was so pissed off about, you know, dropping $100,000 on that treatment style that Alex Guerrero does, I mean, the, the tweet that he got back from AG was kind of, like, super cool. Like, he said, just let me know where to send the uh, balance to, and that's it. Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like AB was like, you know, these dudes are holding out money that I paid them, and they're not going to pay it back. I mean, it's like, it's stated in the text between the two of them, it's like, just let me know where to send the balance to. Like, that's it. Like, in the BA one. Hey, I mean, this, every, is, this is BA. You think you don't have your head coach's number, bro? Like, no one's going to start off a conversation like that. He has your number. He knows who you are. Like, come on, bro. That was so yeah, stupid. Yeah, so. I really can't defend AB here on this one. It's just. It, there's been so much drama associated with him in the past, and I think this is kind of one of those examples where it shows up again. But that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I agree, but I'm not going to talk about this any longer because we're just going to continue to speculate since, like, I started it off at the top. We don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. But with that said, we're going to transition into our Week 18 uh, slate for the episode. And week the first 18. one B is – I know, it's kind of weird to say that, right? that's just like unheard of yeah something we got to get used to kev yeah but the first game that we're going to go over is going to be a huge afc north battle between the pittsburgh steelers and the baltimore ravens so to give you guys an update on where both teams 
currently are as far as their records go. The Steelers are currently sitting at an 8-7-1 and one record. And the Baltimore Ravens are currently sitting at an 8-8 eight and eight record. But the Ravens have really been struggling of late. They've lost their last five games in a row and are in kind of a dire situation as far as getting one of the last playoff spots in the AFC wild card. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, when you look at this matchup between the Steelers and the Ravens, who do you have more faith in and why? So both teams have been struggling lately outside of Pittsburgh's big win last week against the Browns where TJ Watt had a a damn near historic game with four sacks. He is one sack away from tying Michael Strahan's all time leading uh, sack record for a single season with 22 and a half. Uh, he'll probably break it just because of the extra game, so I don't know. But then again, Kyle and I were actually talking about it. T.J. Watt has only played 12 full NFL games this year between missing a few and leaving some early with injury. So technically he may have gotten it in the 17th game if he does actually complete the record and or break it, but he did not play a full season, which is scary in and of itself. But again, back to the game, in, uh, back to the game at hand. I'm going with Pittsburgh if Lamar doesn't play. Lamar has been resting and have been healing on that bone bruise for the last three weeks or so. God willing, he'll be fresh if he does play. If not, I don't see Pittsburgh losing this game knowing everything that's on the line. Najee Harris is playing great football. Obviously, Pittsburgh's defense has been playing exponential the last week uh, because the week before that, they got embarrassed by Kansas City by like 30. So can't say for the past couple of weeks. But I just think there's more on the line for Ben to go out with a bang, obviously, in his final season. Not that I think that Pittsburgh's going to win a game in the playoffs or anything, but if I had to put money on it, I think Deontay Johnson's going to have a big game. Najee Harris, that Baltimore defense is more than suspect. They have not been able to stop a common cold. They got blown out by Joe Burrow by 80 points this year, and they're on a five-game skid. So uh, if Tyler Huntley plays, it it could be, uh, I mean, an interesting game because he's played well for them as his backup, but... uh, if Lamar plays, I think he gives them a little bit more of a chance. So I got them winning no matter what. And by them, I mean Pittsburgh. If Lamar plays, maybe it's about a three-point game, maybe a seven-point game. If Huntley plays, maybe about a 10, 13 points um, in terms of total spread. But, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take the opposite on this one. I'm going to take Baltimore on this one. And I'm going to take the assumption that Lamar Jackson is going to play. Now, how viable he's going to be, I'm not 100% sure. Because I imagine that bone bruise is kind of, you know, pretty difficult to deal with. And he may only be at 85-90%, but I think he would be a better option than Tyler Huntley, despite the fact that I think Tyler Huntley has done a pretty solid job in that backup role while Lamar has been dealing with this injury of his. Now, the reason why I'm picking the Ravens is because they have home field in this game, and... When I look at the game that they played last week against the Rams, that was a game that was entirely in their control up until the fourth quarter. And then they gave up 13 points in that fourth quarter against LA and then ended up losing the game by one point. But that was pretty impressive for Baltimore to be able to hold a high-powered offense like the Rams to only 20 points. And basically, you know, keeping it to a one-point game, I got to give them a little bit of credit on that. Granted, it's a loss, but it was a lot different than what I expected because I thought the Rams were just going to blow the doors off the Ravens last week. So I think the Ravens do have a better shot of going up against a team like Pittsburgh, just because Pittsburgh has looked suspect the entire year, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. And I just don't see big Ben coming through in the clutch in this one, just because 
I think that Ravens defense is, is going to be ready to go just because if they were able to contain that Rams offense to 20 points last week and Pittsburgh's offense is significantly weaker than the Rams is, I got to favor them in that one. And then when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, you know, going up against Pittsburgh's defense is going to be a challenge. There's no doubt about that because despite that KC loss that Pittsburgh suffered just a couple of weeks ago to the Chiefs, that defense has held up relatively well throughout the last month or so. So if Lamar does play in that game, I think they have the edge simply just because I think his presence is that much more significant than having Tyler Huntley in there. So just based off of that assumption, if Lamar does play, I'm going to say the Ravens win this one in a close one, but I'm going to say like 23 to 20. I think it's just going to be one of those games where it's just going to be it's just going to be a war from beginning to end. And these AFC North battles, they always get competitive. They always get feisty. And I think we'll definitely get to see that on display on Sunday. But I think the Ravens, they get a close win at home. And then, you know, they have a, at least a decent shot, you know, to get into the playoffs. But, you know, they have some things. They have to have some things work out in their favor to be able to make that happen. But, you know, I got the Ravens winning this one in a close one. Yeah, divisional battles at the end of the season are always, always, always tough. I look forward to every single one of these games that we're going to talk about today just because of the playoff implications. But this next game in particular is the fucking game of my week because Mm -hmm. it makes a difference for my team. Kyle, we have not won a game in Jacksonville since 2014. Obviously, as you are well aware, that is Andrew Luck. That is the game that we walked off. No, actually, that game was in Indianapolis. I'm talking about the game where he was wearing both gloves, like shouting out after we won, went 8-8. Eight and eight. We didn't, No, we still lost in Jacksonville that year. So, yeah, we have lost with Jacoby Brissett, Phillip Rivers. Who the hell else was quarterback for us? God knows. Jesus Christ, I can't even keep up. The point is we ain't won a game in seven years over there. We're winning, get in. Regardless of seeding, in order for Indianapolis to get in, we have to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kyle, I'm going to ask you, even though the Jaguars have been piss poor all year outside of that Buffalo upset, and I don't even remember their their other win, to be honest with you. Uh, was it the Jets? I don't even care. They're 2-14 and 14 for a reason. Ex- exactly. So outside of that, with Indianapolis' complete collapse last week, and uh, again, their inconsistency to call a fucking consistent football game, do you believe that this game is going to be a lot closer than it should be? Yeah, I, I think it will be. Just because when I look at recent history between these two teams and the matchups that they've had, they've been relatively close. I mean, I think if memory serves me correct, Kev, I know this is probably going to be insulting to you, but the one win that the Jacksonville Jaguars had was against the Indianapolis Colts last year, correct? Correct, against Philip Rivers week one. Now, I don't remember the score of that one, but that one was in Jacksonville, and that one was a pretty bad loss. Now, when I kick sure it, it was like 10 points. When I kick it forward to this year and the one matchup that they had just a couple weeks ago, if I remember correctly, the Colts only won that game by six points. It was like 23 to 17. Yep. And when I look at this game going into Sunday, Kevin, we've been saying it all year. Give Jonathan Taylor the ball. And pretty much nine times out of 10, when he gets over 100 yards rushing, it's probably going to end with a win. And I think that should be the formula here. Just continue to give Jonathan Taylor carries. 
And then if you want to split some with Naheem Hines, just so you get a little bit of a split between both backs, I, I think that that's fine. But at least two-thirds of that offense, as far as their production goes, should go through Jonathan Taylor. And I think if they do that successfully, you know, you could sprinkle in, you know, some good plays by Carson here and there. I think they'll do fine on the offensive side of the ball. And then when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Darius Leonard has been playing out of his mind the last couple of weeks, just as far as his ability to, to create turnovers or at least lead to some opportunities to create turnovers. He's always there. He's always making plays. And I think the defense is going to have to step up mightily against Jacksonville, just knowing how close that these matchups have been against Jacksonville with them. So defensively, as far as Indianapolis is concerned, if they're able to force a turnover or two off of Trevor Lawrence or that Jacksonville offense, I think it will bode well for them, but they have to turn the ball over. And I mean, the Jags are coming off of a abysmal performance against the New England Patriots last week where they got hung up for 50 points on the road. So Jacksonville is going to be ready to go in this game because they got disrespected by New England last week. And they're going to have to get it back as far as I'm concerned in this matchup against Indianapolis. And I think with Jacksonville, I, I think they would love to play spoiler here to possibly end the Colts season with a huge win at home, with which would probably be the biggest upset in recent memory if the Colts were able to lose this game against Jacksonville just because Jacksonville's absolutely horrendous this year. They're 2-14 and 14 for a reason. And as far as the score goes, as far as the prediction goes, I think it's going to be relatively close. I think it's going to be one of those games where it's going to be a one-possession result when it's all said and done. But I think Indianapolis comes out on top, but I think it's going to be like 24-17. to 17. I think it's going to be very similar to the performance that they had back at home just a couple weeks ago. But I think it's going to be one of those games where Kevin, you're going to be sweating bullets and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you get like a low key mini heart heart attack during certain points of that game, just because if Frank Wright starts getting on his bullshit, I know how it's going to be with you. So you'll be recording, you'll be recording alone. But, but, I, that game. but I do <laughs> think that the Colts come out on top and that's just how I see it. So once again, you know, Having to make a prediction on my own team, it gets very, very complicated. My bias tends to be put aside because I just I, I don't have faith in Frank. Um, we should win this game. We have a better team than them. We have a better quarterback. We have a better defense. I mean, on paper, we are just an overall better team. Record indicates it, and so does everything else statistically. But the way we collapsed last week, the way that Frank got fancy, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea of what version of the Colts we're going to get. I've been saying it all season long. Two or three games will look absolutely unbeatable. We'll get a game where we just absolutely shit the bed and just forget how to play football, and we look like scrubs. Going into the postseason, not that this is going to make a difference, but it would be nice to get in, obviously, with a win, because without the win, we don't get in. But I'm just saying it would be nice to actually go in there with a victory on your back. End the season at 11-7, and excuse me, 10-7, and when we started off one and four. So I'm curious to see how this goes. Sorry, I'm trying to like put my hands in a certain place, but it hurts. Um, I don't know, man. I really don't. I'm hoping Jonathan Taylor gets a buck 50. I'm hoping that Carson Wentz has about 200 to 225 yards passing with two tuts, no, no interceptions. Paris Campbell hopefully will be activated for this game. He's been practicing all week. 
DeForest Buckner's been hurt all week, so we don't know if he's playing. Uh, Xavier Rhodes is out for this game with a hamstring injury. We brought in Prince Amukamura, the veteran, former first-round pick out of Rutgers, to uh, get a workout with the Colts, so we might even have a brand-new corner, which just does not make me feel comfortable. Not that Jacksonville has anything threatening in terms of like receivers, but to bring in a new guy this late in the year to learn the system and try to freaking figure out what it is that's going on does not bode well for me in terms of being comfortable. And then I just, I don't know. We got a great play on special teams. When we played them last time, we got that big block and we scored. So, I mean, hopefully we can recreate some magic and get some something in there in that regards. But I would not be surprised if we lost, but I will predict that we will win this game, but I will predict that we win in the final seconds with a field goal. Yeah, bro. It's going to be one of those games, in my opinion, just because I, recent history kind of tells me that. And these divisional matchups, they always get tough. And I think Jacksonville has a little bit of incentive here to, to bounce back in a big way from last week against New England, which is probably one of their worst losses of the season. And I think I think they would love to play spoiler against the Indianapolis Colts in this upcoming matchup. I mean, what better way to end the season by knocking off you know, one of your divisional foes in the last game of the year. You know, I think that would probably be something that they could hang their hat on going into the offseason. But just on paper, you look at the matchup, you got to favor Indianapolis in this one. But knowing how we pick our games, bro, could be completely it, 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 it ain't in my favor, and that's totally okay. Completely understand that. I'm just looking forward to watching the game as much as it'll piss me off if we lose. The fact that football is on the screen, the fact that I get to watch my team on a Sunday off, it is nice. So, um, I'll take it for what it's worth, but guys, I uh, I might not be around for the first half of next week's episode or Sunday's episode because I might actually be in the street running around with a missing limb or something like that because I don't I don't know what I'm going to do if we lose. We'll just say that you know Kevin is. Uh, we'll just say that he's in protocols or something. Ke- Kevin's on PTO. <laughs> yeah, 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 just you know he just didn't feel like it. Just didn't feel like coming in. So yep. it's too bad we don't have a studio together. <laughs> That'd be, that'd be, Bro, yeah. I, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. But with with that said, we're going to transition into our third matchup for the Week 18 slate. And that is going to be an AFC West battle between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. So to give you guys an update on where these teams currently stand, the Chargers are sitting at a 9-7 and record. And also the Raiders are sitting at a 9-7 and record as well. Both of these teams are trying to claim one of the last AFC wildcard spots to get into the playoffs. So there's a lot of incentive to win this game for both teams. It's a do or die matchup for both the Chargers and the Raiders. So let's get right to it. Kevin, I'm going to pose the question to you. With the Chargers going up against the Raiders in this AFC West showdown, who do you think comes out on top and why? This is going to be a good one, bro. Vegas on a three-game win streak for the AFC West final wildcard spot. Um, Justin Herbert has been dominating the league all year long, had a couple of hiccup games, but for the most part has been playing stellar in his sophomore year. Um, Derek Carr has shown time and time again this year. Don't count them out. He has a couple of game winning drives this season alone, I believe two or three. So that just shows that, you know, Vegas is resilient. They can do it in all phases. They can get a stop when need be. The offense can move down the field with Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones. I mean, he went off last week for a buck 20, obviously the big back and Josh Jacobs, so the potential is there for Vegas, uh, but I will take the safer pick and say that Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and those boys will find a way to go out there and get a W. 
and uh, get that final wild card spot. I think that Justin Herbert is just a different breed of a quarterback. I think that his talent is unmatched, especially in this category. No disrespect to Derek, but I do truthfully uh, believe that, you know, Justin is a better quarterback. I think that the offense for the Chargers is a bit better, especially when healthy and fully loaded with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jared Cook will be off the COVID list. And then, of course, Austin Eckler has been dealing with some injuries of his, of his own. Uh, but if uh, don't be surprised if Oakland's excuse me, if Vegas's defense can kind of keep Herbert and make his life a living hell, they can keep him contained. Don't be surprised if Vegas goes out there and they can provide the upset. I'm going to predict that the Chargers win this game by about a touchdown or so. It's going to be a close game. It is taking place in Las Vegas. So, you know, Vegas does have the home field advantage. But I'm going to be safe, and I'm going to say that Justin Herbert leads the Chargers to their first playoff berth in a couple of years. And I'm going to go the opposite way on this one. I'm going to go with the Raiders. And the reason why I'm going with the Raiders is probably not the reason that you think. I think that Justin Herbert is going to choke in this game. Wow. That's kind of how I see it, because when I look at this Chargers team as a whole, you know, their offense is definitely a high-powered offense. Justin has been having another good year coming off of the heels off of a great rookie season last year. But, Kevin, for some odd reason, I, I, I can't get that loss to Houston a couple weeks ago out of my head in regards to the Chargers. They shouldn't even be in this situation in the first place. Had they just done their job against Houston a couple weeks ago, they would probably already have a wild card spot already clinched but they let one slip i think they got it back together last week but when i look at the raiders i think the raiders present them an interesting challenge because defensively the raiders have stepped up in a significant way in really the last month or so now granted they had that one game where they gave up damn near 50 points to the chiefs but outside of that performance they've had some decent wins but a lot of these wins has been been because their defense has been phenomenal. Now, this is a big test for them because they're going up against a very high-powered offense that contains the likes of Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler. Those are no scrubs, and you have to account for them in every way, shape, or form. But I think that win against the Colts last week on the road, I think it gave them a huge boost. It gave them another day to fight as far as getting a possible wild card spot. And I think being at home, I think it's going to give them an advantage just because I think Justin, I think the pressure is going to get to him in this one. I still think it's going to be a relatively close game, but I think when I look at the matchup between Derek Carr and Justin Herbert, I'm going to go with Derek Carr simply just because that Derek Carr is a veteran. He's been in these situations before, and I think he's going to be the one that's going to rise to the occasion and not Justin. I know a lot of people would say, you know, you would just favor Justin off the bat, but I like the way that the Raiders have been playing the last couple of weeks. Their defense has been phenomenal. Their offense has been playing good enough to get by some of these teams. And I think it's going to be one of those games where it's going to be a low-scoring game compared to what I think everybody's thinking. I think this one is going to be a one-possession game. I got the Raiders winning this one by the score of 24-20. to 20. I don't think either team cracks 30 points. And I'm just in the mindset that the Raiders are going to get this one done just because they're going to be able to do enough against the Chargers, but I think Justin is going to be the reason why they don't get that win on the road in Las Vegas. That's just how I see it. 
I just don't get that impression from him. You know, young, poised, uh, very confident, great capabilities. Again, inexperienced to a certain degree in this magnitude of a game. But I just think he's a different kind of quarterback, man. We don't necessarily see somebody come out as good as he has for the the pick that he was and the team that he was kind of sent to and the situation that he was put into with Tyrod Taylor having to start and then him kind of basically only getting to start because Tyrod ended up getting hurt by the Chargers' own medical staff. Um, it's kind of an unsung hero, an unsung song, uh, something that's just not familiar. And I really do believe that Justin Herbert is going to find a way to go out there, play some good football in a divisional game that matters most. And he's going to show everybody that he is a, a top 10 quarterback in this league. Oh, I mean, the, the skills that Justin possesses, I mean, they're obvious. I think that goes without saying. But the one thing that Justin does not have is that I think when it comes to these big game situations, he's still relatively young in his career. This is only his second year in the league. Yeah. And I think if they were playing at home, I think it would be a much more comfortable environment for him to get this win against the Raiders. But the fact that he's got to go on the road and he's got to go up against a defense that has been playing pretty well the last month or so, I don't think it's as clear-cut as it looks on paper. So to me, the Chargers, if they lose this game, this season, as far as I'm concerned, would be an abject failure if the Chargers lost this game. I mean, to me, the Chargers should win this game, but I I didn't pick them because I just don't think that Justin is going to rise above the occasion. I think that he's a great quarterback. I think he's one of the best and up-and-coming quarterbacks in the league. But I think this is going to be one of those moments where I think he falls short, but I think it's going to be a good learning experience for him. And I think it's going to be one that he's going to build off of if they were to lose this game. Now, if he wins this game, great. You know, the Chargers go to the playoffs. And then, you know, I guess all is forgiven, you know, leading up to like the last couple of weeks in the season. Really, that Houston loss was unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. But no, I, I think the Raiders got a great shot to win this game. That's why I picked them. No, I, th- I think Derek's going to definitely show out. I think it's going to be a good game overall, like we've said about most of the games today. Um, I just, I don't know. There's something about that kid, Justin Herbert, that I can't really look away from. Uh, Derek's a great guy. Derek's a great veteran. I just don't know if Vegas has the right team around it with everything they've gone through. Um, they have been doing great as of late, at least in, ter- in terms of, you know, as a team overall. I just... I also don't want to see Vegas in the playoffs just because I'm a little salty because they did beat us last week. But, you know, bias aside, I would prefer to see Justin Herbert light it up than the struggling Raiders offensively. They're not exciting to watch. We just got to see how the game plays out on Sunday, bro. And that's a Sunday night game, so that'll definitely be a good one to watch. That's going to be big, yeah. All right, so with the last uh, topic as far as our NFL topics goes, uh, we're going to talk about the last wild card spot in the NFC being clinched by either the Saints or the 49ers. So both of these teams, they are both vying for the last spot for the NFC playoff picture. And both teams are looking, hopefully, for a win against their respective matchups. So when I look at the slate here, we've got the Saints, excuse me, we've got the 49ers going up against the Rams, which is not an advantageous matchup for them. And then we have the Saints going up against the Falcons in their matchup. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, who do you think is going to claim the last wild card spot in the NFC, the new Orleans saints or the San Francisco 49ers? 
Now, I know that there are specific implications that are going to matter in both cases. I don't know if it's both of them win and get in, even though it is the last spot. Um, If it is just win and get in, I'm going to go with the Niners. The Niners absolutely slap the shit out of the damn uh, Rams in primetime a couple of months back. The Rams are not the same team. They've been struggling to beat teams as of the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think the last couple of weeks outside of the Jacksonville game, both games went and they won by one point uh, against the Ravens. And who else was it last week that they played that they won by one? Well, they beat the Ravens last week by one. And then there was another game that they only won by one uh, before the Jacksonville blowout or even after the Jacksonville blowout. I don't know. But again, I don't necessarily have faith in the Rams. Plus, they've already clinched a playoff spot. Green Bay's already clinched the top seed. I don't necessarily see them playing their hearts out. I don't see Sean McVay really keeping his starters out there aside from maybe just getting them consistent reps. Um, San Fran's got more to play for. Jimmy Garoppolo's coming back. Obviously, Trey Lance played last week, but Jimmy's coming back. Uh, George Kittle's healthy. And, and that team as a whole, as a unit, has just been fighting so hard to stay relevant, stay alive in this division. And I just think it's their time, man. I don't know if they're going to win a game, but I just I think that they just have so much more to play for especially because the Rams already have a spot. So I look forward to this game. I think that the uh, the Niners win their game, and I think that they get in. No disrespect to the Saints. Obviously, I have my own hatred for them for my own reasons. But I genuinely just think that the, the, the Niners are a better-suited team, a better, more well-rounded team, especially because they're not playing quarterback carousel with all this bullshit with Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and then, you know, one week, they use Taysom Hill, straight wildcat, and they win by 20. The next week, they want to drop him back 38 times. He throws four interceptions. I just – I don't think New Orleans is consistent enough. I don't think that that defense has had enough time together since all of the injuries and the COVID things that has been going on for them all year. Um, Alvin Kamara has been battling injury all year as well. So, uh, safer pick, definitely going to be 49ers. But personally, I also do believe that they deserve to get in. Yeah, so in this one, I'm going to side with you on this one. I am going to go with the 49ers in this one just because the Rams have already clinched a playoff spot. And I think if... And the division. Said, yeah, so when I look at it, um, I don't really think the Rams have much to play for. I think, well, I don't actually know off the top of my head if they can improve their playoff seating. But despite that, I think the Rams are going to take their foot off their pedal in this game. And I do think that the 49ers are going to be able to edge it out just because it's like you said, Kevin, I I think that the 49ers are a much more formidable team than the new Orleans saints are currently constructed. Really when Jameis suffered that torn ACL about a month and a half ago, it really just put the entire team on a tailspin and they've been inconsistent to say the least. Um, since that injury that Jameis sustained. But their defense was really the focal point that kept that team afloat. Now, when I look at San Francisco, San Francisco, they're an interesting team because I don't necessarily think that their record necessarily indicates the value of the team. Because I think that even though they have a 9-7 and seven record, there's been some games where they've been in it up until the end. And then they just had some games go against them. Really, the ones that I can kind of think of off the top of my head was uh, the Packers game earlier in the season. And then the game against the Titans. I think that one took place about two weeks ago. But to me, when I look at the 49ers, their defense has been playing 
phenomenal the last month or so. I believe the most points that they've given up against against any team, I think, was only like 20 or 25 points to the Cincinnati Bengals. And that was in the beginning of December. I mean, since since then, I think they've only given up like in between like 10 or 15 points consistently. So they're, the 49ers have been a better team as far as I'm concerned. And I think when you look at the matchup, it doesn't necessarily indicate that the, the 49ers should be favored. But I do think that the 49ers definitely present a bigger challenge for the Rams. And I, even though that I do think that the Rams do have a good shot to win that game, I'm going to go with the 49ers. And I think that they would be the last team to get the wild card spot in the NFC. It sucks that it kind of comes down to a team potentially resting their starters or pulling them mid game. And then another team playing basically spoiler in the Atlanta Falcons, trying to keep the saints from getting into the playoffs. But again, it just comes down to me personally, who's more exciting to watch. I just, I don't really enjoy watching the Saints play football unless Alvin Kamara is kind of at full strength. And even at that, I don't think Taysom Hill is that exciting to watch consistently. A couple of plays here and there for some trick plays, like what he was doing with Drew Brees and, of course, when Jameis was in there. But for him to regularly be under center and, you know, throw 30 to 35 passes, maybe even 40, just doesn't really jump off the page for me, doesn't really excite me too much. I think that Jimmy, Elijah Mitchell – uh, Brandon Ayoke, and then, of course, Debo Samuel being one of the more electrifying players in the NFL, both running and catching the football. I just think it provides a better matchup. Like you said, it's also going to be a better matchup for whatever playoff team they end up playing against, whether that's the seventh or sixth seed, whichever they secure. Um, they just provide a, a, a better formidable team. And then, you know, Nick Bosa on that defensive side of the ball is just absolutely ridiculous for me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a fun um it's going to be a fun Sunday to just watch how those results play out. But, I mean, it could go the in the entirely different way. It could be the 49ers lose to the Rams, and then the Saints beat the Falcons. If that's the case, you know, it'd be kind of nuts to me, but, you know, the, the Saints would get in and the, and the 49ers wouldn't. But, you know, that's just... We'll just kind of see how that whole thing goes. But, you know, I think it's going to be set up for a... Um, for a great Sunday, and I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So with that said, we're going to transition into some of our NBA topics. The first one being, Kevin, this is going to hit home, but the fact that uh, Dirk Nowitzki had his jersey retired and hung up in the Raptor, in the rafters in Dallas the other night. I know this was a very, this was a very genuine moment for you just because, you know, Dirk was the mainstay for the Dallas Mavericks for the 20 year career that he had from the beginning to the end of his career. And Kevin, I got to kick this one to you. Just what did his Jersey mean as far as Dirk's Jersey going up in the rafters mean to you? It was, uh, it was amazing. You know, um, seeing my favorite players all hanging up in the last five or six years has been, has been painful, you know, seeing Derek Jeter hanging up and his, he get his final walk off the year I moved to Florida uh, Peyton Manning win a Super Bowl and hang it up for Denver a few years after that, if not the following year. Dirk Nowitzki retiring a few years after that. So, I mean, all, all my legends, all my favorite players have been cemented in their respective league history. Obviously, Jeter's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And we all know that Dirk Nowitzki, Dirk Nowitzki will be one as well. So, to know that I grew up in an era with just incredible icons, incredible favorite players, incredible teams... Thankfully, my dad raised my brother and I to pick whatever teams we liked as children, and we kind of 
stuck with it, you know, 2003, 2004, Steve Nash's final year uh, before he goes to Phoenix, kind of just turn a random game on before you know it. You know, my dad's a Laker fan. My brother obviously followed suit and he's also a Laker fan. I kind of wanted to break away. I kind of wanted to be different. I found that game and I don't even remember who the hell we were playing so long ago. I just know that I saw this guy that was just so tall. Um, obviously watching Shaq for so many years in, in LA, just like, you know, I'm used to the big guy dunking the basketball and I'm seeing him, the one legged fadeaway, the three point shot, you know, the free throws just being as consistent. Again, I wasn't necessarily fully knowledgeable of how basketball worked yet. Um, I was still kind of learning how to play it myself. And I, I loved watching it with my dad it was the way we bonded. But I asked my dad who that guy was. I was like, dad, who's that tall, who's that tall guy with the long hair. My dad was like, oh, that's Dirk Nowitzki. You drafted 1998. My dad had all his memorabilia, you know, sports rookie cards, uh, some jerseys and stuff. So I was always kind of intrigued. And uh, I I stuck with it, man. He was really the reason why I just, I stuck towards this team. He was the guy that made me want to watch the Dallas Mavericks. It's the reason why I fell in love with this team. Of course, a few years later, we ended up going to the finals and losing to the Heat to Dwayne Wade and, uh, you know, that, 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 that incredible team. Questionable referees, you know, questionable calls throughout that series, but neither here nor there. I have accepted that we lost. But, you know, the following season, you know, we go and we lead the league with the league's best record. I believe we went 68 and something. We lose to the Warriors uh, as the eighth seed. We were the first one seed to lose to an eighth seed. The following year, Dirk wins MVP. And then two, three years later, we go to the finals against the Miami Heat, against the big three and LeBron, D. Wade and, and Bosh. And we go out and win in upsetting fashion in, in six games. So, Dirk opened my eyes to to loyalty, him, Kobe, obviously people that played 20-plus years with one organization. Um, Dirk was pivotal in my life for basketball, man. Uh, I was never tall, obviously. I'm not seven feet. I'm not 6'5", but I always found a way to emulate that that one-legged fadeaway. I tried to always do something like Dirk, you know, try to change my jump shot to be like Dirk, but obviously only one person can shoot like Dirk, and that's Dirk. and he just showed me so much, man. He was such a nice person. Thankfully, God willing, you know, God bless me. I was able to meet him in person after a Miami Heat game. And he signed my jersey off my back. And, and, and immediately after he had signed my jersey, I started to cry because it was just like I had met my favorite player that I've admired my whole life. And he signed my jersey on my back. And that's the jersey that I want to hang in the office to display for you know, not only, you know, you guys on the podcast, but for, for myself to remind me that, you know, like dreams are possible. You always want to meet a celebrity. You always want to say, you know, like, what would you say if you met this person? I was just starstruck. I, you know, Mr. Nowitzki, can you sign my jersey? Like that, those are the only words I got out. Everything else was just like not English, not even a, a language. And uh, I was blessed. My favorite player really went out there and he signed my jersey and I couldn't have been happier. So, you know. Dirk's jersey getting hung in the rafters was so important to me. I cried for most of the ceremony, if not the entire ceremony, looking at all the highlights and the memories. But, you know, shout out to my favorite player, man. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for his family. He uh, he set the bar for all future Mavericks. He's a great mentor to Luca. So for, for, for everything he's done for the city of Dallas and for people like me, um, he'll always be remembered for everything he's done. And uh, just I'm just so thankful I was able to at least meet him and watch him for as long as I did. Well said, man. Well said. I mean, I'm going to keep it relatively short. Um, You know, looking at Dirk's career, I I mean, when I look at it, I mean, he's one of the greatest international players that's ever touched an NBA court before. I mean, you can arguably say that he's the greatest international player of all time in NBA history. And when I look at Dirk, I mean, granted, he was not the most athletic 
basketball player we've ever seen. But what he lacked in athleticism, he made up for in just his shooting mechanics. And I mean, when, when I look at that that fadeaway off the left foot, I, I mean, it was a thing of beauty to watch. I mean, I'll never forget, I think he hit that shot. I think he hit it along the baseline. This was a game where the, the, the Mavs were playing the Lakers. Uh, this was kind of towards the end of both Kobe's career and Dirk's career. And Kobe wasn't playing in that game. And Dirk hits a clutch baseline jump shot with about like 10 seconds to go. And then, you know, as he's running down the court, you know, Kobe gives him a little butt tap and just kind of, you know, has a face of just like, good shot, bro. Good shot. You know, Dirk was one of the most consistent players that we've not only seen for the Dallas Mavericks, but really throughout, you know, the NBA in the last two decades or so. So I think the whole jersey ceremony, the retirement that he went through as far as his jersey getting hung up in the rafters, I think it was, I mean... It was going to happen. I mean, it was obvious it had to happen, and I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Dirk was able to experience it. I'm glad that you, as a Mavs fan, were glad to experience it. But you know, when I look at Dirk, just a great basketball player, obviously, probably responsible for one of the biggest upsets in NBA Finals history against the 2011 Miami Heat with with a team that assembled LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. I mean, nobody kind of expected that series to go the way that it did, but Dirk was the pivotal force in that series for the Mavs. And, I mean, you got to give it up to the guy. I mean, one of the most phenomenal players that we will see in NBA history. And uh, I think his jersey getting hung up in the rafters the other night in Dallas, I think it was well-deserved. So congratulations to, to Dirk on his jersey getting retired. Just kind of end it there. Great night, man. Great, great, great night. Legit, as I was talking about it, I almost got choked up, but I managed to uh, to keep it together. And for those of you that are laughing, you guys have probably just never been impacted by an athlete like that, honestly. I mean, just – I don't have to explain myself, man. That's my favorite player since I was legit, like, 10 years old. That yeah. is – that is everything to me, bro. Everything. I feel that. But with that said, we're going to transition into our last topic of the night, and that is going to be my team – the Los Angeles Lakers. I always kind of like get depressed when I talk about my team just because they provide a significant amount of pain every now and then. You know, granted, I know we're not under 500, but just the Lakers give me migraines, bro. This is on top of being sick for the last two days on top of it. So hopefully uh, we can get through this segment pretty well. But as is typical of any LeBron James-led team, we are now reaching the point where the trade the trade deadline is approaching and there has been some trade speculation already we've already heard names such as deandre jordan and kent Bazemore be brought up in trade discussions i wouldn't be surprised if russell westbrook is involved in some trade rumors as well going into the next couple weeks i mean the lakers are technically in the playoff seating right now they are above 500 they have been playing a little bit better and it's because lebron james has been playing at a MVP type level the last two or three weeks or so. So that's just kind of the current state of the Lakers right now. It's, some things are in flux right now, and that's kind of putting it mildly. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how do you think the Lakers should traverse the next couple of weeks with all these trade rumors coming up? It's weird because it's like you, 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 you made it like a joke, but it's so true in LeBron James fashion. We're getting close to that point where it's buyout season, trade season. And it's like, 
the team was assembled to be good around LeBron James. It was assembled to, you know, benefit the talents of LeBron. And, you know, obviously with his input, he brought a lot of people in as well, Mello included. And, and, and like you said, in, in his fashion, he's, he's not happy. The team is not doing well. They're not producing. They're not playing in the manner that was expected when GM Rob Palenka put this team together. But I just – I don't know. I don't know if letting go of DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore is going to do anything. I know it's just for roster space, but what are you really going to do? What pieces do you really have that's going to incur a team to really make a trade with you? Um I know that they signed Denzel Valentine in that trade, or no, the Knicks ended up acquiring Denzel uh, and then releasing him for roster space or whatever. So it's like, I have no idea. I really don't understand the concept of it. I don't see a point. I don't see a a reason for any of these moves. I mean, granted, DeAndre Jordan was never going to do anything significant for you. Neither was Kent Bazemore. If anything, you release them just to create roster space because I don't know what team is going to trade them, trade for them individually or in a package. So, you know, the Western Conference is really competitive. Like Kyle said, um, they are above 500, and technically they're in competition for the fifth and sixth seed right now if it were to end. I know that Dallas just technically got to the fifth seed being 20 and 18. I believe that L.A. is 19 and 17 or 19 and 18 themselves. They're 20 and 19. So, once again, basically we're tied for the fifth seed um, at this point because I believe the Lakers have a tiebreaker over us after beating us a couple of months back. Uh, but I'm I'm looking at this and I'm saying, unless they go out there and they make some blockbuster trade that includes Russell Westbrook for another superstar, I don't necessarily see this team or this roster alter being a change in the season's progression. So I I, I don't know. This is a really hard one to answer. When we started seeing these rumors circulate that everybody was up for a trade or pretty much most of the roster kind of being open to be traded. Rajon Rondo getting traded, and then, of course, Anthony Davis's injury. Um, there's too much in the air. You're the Laker fan, so I'm, I'm going to ask you, what the, what the hell are, are, are you guys planning to do? Who, who the fuck wants these two random-ass old players? I'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that's going to take these two, bro. Because well, like when it comes to, oh, for God's sakes, DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore, I, they don't hold that much value. The only player that probably holds some sort of value is probably Russell, but is Russell worth trading for? If you're another team trying to add him on, I mean, I think he'd be an idiot to take on Russell Westbrook at this point. And really this year, I mean, it's kind of shown, I mean, Russell has bounced around the league the last couple seasons and it kind of shows why just because the guy is so turnover prone that it's actually a joke when it comes up that he had a game the other night where he didn't have a turnover for the, like the first time in like five and a half years. I mean, you have to go back to 2016 for Russell Westbrook to have a game where he didn't turn a ball over. I mean, that's, that's where we're at with Russell. And, you know, when I look at the possible trade rumors that are circulating around for the Lakers, if they're able to move Russell and just bring in some younger talent, I don't even know who they would be able to acquire as far as I'm concerned, if they're just younger, I think it will do the Lakers better than going out and possibly trading for another veteran that's in like their, you know, early to mid thirties. Just because when I look at this roster assembled from top to bottom, I mean, LeBron is what, 37 years old or 38 years old. So something like that. 
You know, Russell's in his mid thirties. I mean, Dwight Howard's in his mid thirties. Carmelo's in his late thirties. And Trevor Reese's late in his late thirties. The only players that are really quote unquote young on this team are players like Malik Monk, Avery Bradley, uh, Talon Horton Tucker, and maybe Austin Reeves, the the young kid that they uh, got in the draft uh, just a couple of months ago. He's actually kind of came in and done a decent job coming off the bench. But as far as I'm concerned, the main point for the Lakers going into the trade deadline is you have to get younger because this is. This was an aging roster coming into the year. And Kevin, we said it. On paper, this team looks amazing. But they assembled the God Squad back in 2013 with, with names like this. But it's 2022 now. You know, these players are not the same anymore. Specifically related to Carmelo, uh, Russell, Dwight Howard. These guys are not the same. Hell, even Anthony Davis, he's not the same. So... When I look at it, you know, if the Lakers can move Russ, I think that's probably the best case scenario for them. But if they can't, it's going to be a bumpy road for the rest of the season as far as I'm concerned. But like I said, they have to get younger when this trade deadline approaches. And if they don't, then I think the Lakers are going to have a pretty turbulent season moving on forward. I I think at best they can get above 500, but I think they're going to be like middle of the road in the West, maybe like a fifth or sixth seed by the end of the year. I agree completely. I'm looking at the roster just like you and the way it's assembled. Dude, every single person on this roster outside of three or four people are on a veteran minimum deal. LeBron James is making 41. Russell's making 44. AD's making 35. I believe that Taylor Horton Tucker's making 9.5. Everybody else is on vet minimums. Oh, and Kendrick Nunn's on a $5 million deal. I know. I wish he would get more burned too, but they don't utilize him. So we're, gonna, we're, 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 we're sitting here, and we're bringing Stanley Johnson on a 10-day. We're bringing freaking Darren Collison on a 10-day. We got, you went out there, and you got Avery Bradley on a vet minimum deal as the season kind of started. DeAndre Jordan's barely playing 13 minutes. What in the – who yeah. wants – what, what, what is that going to do? The man basically was begging to get taken off of Brooklyn last season. He goes to L.A. thinking it's going to be a big difference, a big change. Hey, you barely getting any burn, bro. Like, come on, man. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's time he hangs it up. I mean, unless you're going to be a backup or third-string center to kind of mentor somebody else. But I wouldn't even take him in Dallas. Like, we had him in Dallas. He got his big payday for a year. We traded his ass to the fucking Knicks. Yep. Like, bro, it don't make no sense. This team was never going to work ever as it was constructed. I don't give a shit if the Lakers end up winning the NBA championship this year. There has to be a miracle for that to happen because this just isn't it's not russell russell was never the answer that was a stupid trade that should have never went through and dude i'm telling you i'm looking at this right there's there's no one low-key the best player on this team right now that isn't the top three players that i had mentioned is probably malik monk and we've been talking about him for a few weeks now if not a few months that he needs to consistently get more minutes yes he does he's been playing solid for us and i wish you know that that sort of production would continue. But the main thing from here on out is, you know, if they're able to move some pieces, they have to get younger because this age is going to catch up on these guys, on these guys. And I I tell you right now with LeBron playing the amount of minutes that he's playing, which is like basically like 34 to like 38 minutes consistently in every game, he's going to get burnt out. It's he's it's way before the playoffs too. Yeah. So, it, they need some help and they need it desperately. 
but I don't know if it's going to come, bro. I With the pieces that they have in place, it's going to be extremely difficult as far as I'm concerned. And that's just kind of the season that the Lakers have had this year, bro. Dude, unless you go out there and you make a move for like a Jeremy Grant, like somebody that multiple teams are interested in acquiring for a playoff contending team, uh, a potential three slash stretch four who can put the ball down on the floor, rebound, you know, pass, play defense, who can score and give you like 15, 20 points on a good night. I don't know what is available. Like what, what the fuck's the buyout market look like? What the hell does the trade market look like? I haven't heard anything outside of. Uh, with the buy, you know? with the with the buyout market, you're not going to find much luck there. I, I I just don't see it. You know, I mean, hell, I mean, a lot of these guys are getting ten days anyway. I mean, for God's sakes, during Dirk's freaking uh, jersey that ceremony the so other funny. night, they, I mean, they were handing out ten days to him. I'm glad he. Dude, I'm, glad that he was... I'm, glad, I'm glad he said no. Like I thought that was hysterical, but it's like, bro, that's, I was cracking up, bro. But it's just like, you know, for as bad as the Lakers have been this year. The fact that they have a, an above 500 record, I guess, is somewhat of a silver lining. But this team is just, they're just treading water at this point. And it's, it, at some point, it's they're going to sink, bro. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, they're putting Band-Aids and Scotch tape right now on the little leaks that they have. But Bro, bro you, you got like open wounds on this team and Band-Aids are not going to do it. Hell no. Not the way this is going. No. But Kev, I think that's... um. I think that's all we got, brother. Is there anything that's, else you could think of before we wrap this up? That's about it. I mean, I just saw that the Warriors lost to the Pelicans tonight. So pain Ooh. ain't the word. Ooh. Warriors got it down bad right now the last couple of days or so. Steph hasn't been playing well. Uh-huh. It's not uh it's not looking good. I mean, we got our little dubski yesterday against the Warriors, uh, on probably the worst night of Steph and the Warriors career in terms of shooting efficiency, but we didn't shoot it much better. We just found ways to get to the free throw line. So I'm just I'm just looking at the games and I'm just like, wait a minute, did this really just happen? Like, did y'all really just lose one oh one to ninety six? I think Wiggins led the Warriors in scoring with twenty one points. I'm looking at the box score right now. Oh, Steph didn't play. They rested Steph. Oh, that's that's why. That's well, why. Steph also banged knees with um Dorian Finney Smith last night. He was kind of aggravated with it uh that, for the remainder of that game. That's why they're resting him. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Yeah. Because Clay supposedly, God willing, comes back on Sunday. We'll see. That's going to be an anticipated return. I know that. Oh my God, bro! The whole league is looking at that game. Even if it, even if it is the Cavs who are playing relatively well this year, bruh, everybody is going to look at that game like, is he? Is he is back? He, is, is he back? <laughs> exactly, bro. Like, it's gonna be crazy. It, yeah, man. But. I think that's all we got from here, you guys. Um, you know, I mean, pretty much going into next week, you know, it's going to be pretty typical like we always do. It's going to be a recap of the NFL slate from this upcoming weekend. Um, we will have the uh, college uh, football championship to go over going up on our next episode. You know, we got Georgia versus Alabama. I think that's something that Kevin and I have been talking about back since like October. So I think pretty much kind of, Everybody expected that that was the matchup that was going to take place, and that is what we're getting. So that'll definitely be a fun topic of discussion. And then I imagine we'll have some NBA topics to go over as well going into next week's episodes. But other than that, you know, it's pretty much all we got from here, you guys. Kevin, is there anything else you, you want to say before we wrap this up? No, nah, man, that's about everything I got, man. I'm just, uh, you know, happy 
that we're able to do this for you guys. It's a little later than we've been recording lately, but between a late phone call from the missus and, of course, you know, me having the tattoo and Kyle getting off of work, we were able to get this done just, like I said, a little bit later. So um, super happy that we're still doing this, happy that we're able to make this progress and make this stuff work for you. And uh, every day we're getting better. That's the biggest thing for us right now, whether it be audio, whether it be YouTube, whether it be little things like this ring light. Um, uh, we want you guys to see the progress. We started at a low point, kind of started individually, like I've been talking about for, for over a year now on both platforms in terms of individually and with Kyle. But we're making strides and every day we're going to get better. And that's why we, we love what we do, whether or not this takes off and pops off and we get plaques from YouTube or we get monetized or whatever. It makes no difference. Kyle and I being best friends and talking about sports, this passion isn't going to go anywhere. We just hope that the hard work is noticed and that you guys can see uh, how far we've come in a short time. Yes, sir. I mean, I couldn't have said it better, bro. But, um, you know, once again, just, I mean, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, definitely appreciate you guys. Um, if you guys were watching us on YouTube, definitely appreciate that, you know. If you're watching it on YouTube, you know, give the channel a like, give it a subscribe. We definitely appreciate the support. I know Kevin's having fun with his, with his whole light thing. I'm gonna let him have fun with it. But um, other than that, you guys, I mean, that's pretty much all we got from here. You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast, and we'll see you guys later. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys.